0: Welcome to Technology Revolution, The Future of Now, where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Welcome, 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 welcome. Technology Revolution live on Voice America Business. I'm Bonnie in the house, happy to be here. And we have got a very, very exciting topic for you. Let me read a quote from futureofeverything.io. Listen up. The word entrepreneurship, yes, that's our topic today, has been defined as the discovery evaluation, and exploitation of opportunities. But until just a few years ago, saying you were a young entrepreneur was a creative way of saying, everybody knows this, I'm out of a job. I'm between jobs. There you go. Today, entrepreneurs are the modern day rock stars. The story of how Mark Zuckerberg hacked the Crimson at Harvard it's legend among millennials and a lot of people older than millennials. Uh, the story of, of hustling is no longer just a way to make money. It can be actually incredibly fun. There's so many, and listen, I'm quoting this, so these aren't my words. There are so many insanely valuable resources available to entrepreneurs for free these days. You don't need to take the plunge to be an entrepreneur. You can just dip your toe in the water and test the water. All you'll lose is the time you invest. It's not that entrepreneurs didn't exist before the word claimed the desire of the public, but society now sees a greater value in being your own boss, and that may be the biggest attraction. I have Don Deloach here. Don, we're going to record this. We are, and somebody will see the video, so wave hello, Don Deloach. Always happy to have him on the show with me. Co-founder and managing partner of Rocket Wagon Venture Studios. Always love the name of your company, Don, and you'll tell us about that again. David, David Friedman. He said I can call him Dave because we're good friends as of meeting about 14 minutes ago. He's the founder and chairman of AYLA, A-Y-L-A Networks. We'll find out about that. We have Jessica Sobra. She spelled her last name, S-O-B-H-R-A-J. She's the CEO of Cosind, or Cosind, my <laughs> Cosind. Ah, I know what a cosign is, C-O-S-Y-N-D, spelled the modern way, and Ron Rock, who is the co-founder and chief executive officer at MicroShare, Inc. I'm very intrigued with the name of your company as well, Mr. Rock. We're going to ask them for their take on the future of entrepreneurship and technology. When is the right time. So welcome again. Let's get started with the round of introductions. Don Deloach, I want to thank you for bringing together this esteemed panel. I appreciate that very much. Don, in case, you know how I say this, Don, there might be eight people in my listening audience around the world who don't remember who you are. Shame on them. Tsk, tsk. And why don't you talk to those eight people and refresh their memory? I'm putting you on speaker view. Don, welcome back.
2: Thanks, Bunny. Uh, yeah, so I'm Don DeLoach. I'm the co-founder and uh, managing partner for Rocket Wagon Venture Studios. Uh, we are a series of venture studios aimed at cyber-physical transformation. Uh, we really focus on stage two entrepreneurship, so not so much getting to the MVP, but getting from the MVP to being a commercial, uh, commercially viable, scalable company. Uh, most people would, would uh, equate that to sort of a Series A level. Uh, I've been running small venture-backed companies for over 20 years. I'm passionate about IoT, and, and Rocket Wacking Venture Studios is sort of the combination of those two things. And it's great to be here with a, a really good group of uh, panelists.
1: Thank you very much, Don. Always a pleasure to have you. I think you're coming back on one of my Game changer shows on a Rip from the Headlines, Internet of Things, in a couple of weeks. Let's go to Dave Friedman. Dave, putting you on speaker view, kindly introduce yourself to my listeners. Go ahead.
3: Hi, uh, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, my, my is Dave Freeman. I'm a, a liberal arts history major that moved out to the Bay area, I think about 25 years ago and found myself in tech. Uh, most recently I founded a company called Ayla networks, uh, targeting the internet of things platform. Uh, I'm chairman of the company now I was CEO for eight years. It's been one of the fastest growing companies and sort of these Forbes lists for a couple of years running now, which is, that's a good thing. Um, Lately, I've been helping out a, a couple other companies sort of in this earlier stage uh, as also being chairman of Ela and uh, having a lot of fun helping those companies grow.
1: Fun helping those companies grow. Is the word entrepreneurship on the tip of everybody's tongue, Dave Friedman? For sure. For sure. Okay. Is the timing right? Is this a good time?
3: It's always the right time.
1: That's what I was looking for. Don, do you agree with that? Uh Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll be asking the other panelists. I should have asked you. Let's move on to Jess. Jessica Sobraj. So happy to have you here. And would you please introduce yourself? Go ahead.
4: Sure. I'm Jessica Sobraj. I'm the CEO of CoSigned, which is the fastest and most affordable way for creators to protect themselves. We help thousands of creators across 120 countries protect their IP and register that IP with the U.S. Copyright Office. I got my start at 18 in the music industry, which is when I founded my first company that was recognized by Billboard. And from then I moved on to work at CSAC, which was one of the, still is, one of the biggest performing arts organizations um, in the US. And then from there, I jumped to a company called Rumblefish, where we were licensing hundreds of thousands of IP on a a weekly basis. Um, But the thing that I'm I'm most proud of besides co-signed is being the former president of Women in Music, which is the longest running nonprofit for women in the arts, and the largest, I think, still to date. Other fun facts, I'm Canadian, a Yorkie lover, fan of Don DeLoach, and I'm big, I think more things will pop up as we go, go along.
1: <laughs> Jessica, you said your first company was uh, recognized by a billboard. What was the company? What did you do?
4: It was a company that licensed music to TV, film, advertising, and gaming. And at that company, we had built a supplier network across 90 countries. So I'm a, a huge fan of bridging gaps across different countries and finding authenticity, especially music. And that's, that's why I loved being in music supervision
1: in general. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Do you wake up with the word entrepreneur across your your bedroom or your living room? Or is that, is that how you live, eat, sleep, and breathe? Entrepreneur here
4: entrepreneur. I also wake up with Bob Marley in my head quite a bit now. I'm, I'm, I'm pregnant. And so our baby loves Bob Marley, apparently. First thing in the morning, just it, it's there. Can't help it. <laughs>
1: Good to know. You all heard it here first. Bob Marley in the world. <laughs> yep. Okay. Thank you. Oh, I think we have to start moving to the, yes. Okay. Ron Rock, you're up next. I don't know how you're <laughs> going to follow her, but Ron, go, go ahead. Ron Rock, so happy to have you here. Would you kindly introduce yourself?
5: Absolutely, thank you, Bonnie. It's a real pleasure to be here. My name's Ron Rock, and I'm an entrepreneur. There, I said it. I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I've been uh, uh, doing this for the last 40 years, and I just love the topic entrepreneur and how it's evolving in in society. I always think that the biggest thing about being an entrepreneur, because lots of people ask me, it's not about the idea, it's not about the team, it's not about the product. It really comes down to your tolerance for risk. Can you really put yourself out there and take that risk to either succeed or quite often, as I've done in the past also, fail and fail publicly in uh, uh, in, in front of everybody? Uh, I've started many companies over the last 40 years. The last one uh, that I'm working on now is MicroShare. We're in the space of managing data in Internet of Things. That's how I met Don Deloche with his great book, the future of IoT. So really, as we bring these billions of new data sources together, who owns that data? Am I allowed to use it? Is it subject to privacy, HIPAA? Is it monetizable? Who do I sell it to? How do I do that? All of those things is really in the middle of what Microshare is doing today. So happy to be here.
1: Thank you very much. And by the way, I know that you are outdoors, Ron Rock. I can hear the birds tweeting, it's delightful. Where are you? What part of the world?
5: I am in a little town called Jay, New York, near the Canadian border. A friend of mine has a cabin up here right along a stream where it's apparently some of the best trout fishing in America. So it's, it's just spectacular.
1: Well, tell the birds, thank you for joining the show. I'm enjoying it. They're very musical and and actually delightful. So don't mute them out. I like them very much. Thank you all for the introductions. This is the part, and we've established, we have a lot of entrepreneurs here. And it's a good word. It's a good thing. Do you all like being your own boss? Everybody raise your hand. Is this part of why you did it? Jess, Ron does. Yes, everybody, good. Okay, well, we'll, we're getting these valuations. I'd
5: say it more than that, Bonnie. I say I'm an entrepreneur because I'm virtually unemployable. Nobody will hire me. So I've had to create these jobs just to have, have a living.
1: Isn't that interesting? I'm an intrapreneur, Ron. I have worked inside of big companies and created my own path. Broadcasting was not something I uh, was trained to do. It's not something I was ever hired to do. I had an idea. I went to a manager in 2011. And I said, let me start a radio show. And it ballooned into 50 radio series in 10 years. So I, I'm the entrepreneur. And for those of our listeners, that's somebody who works for someone. You get a paycheck, right? Am everybody not, if I'm correct in all this, please. You get a paycheck, you're on a payroll, you're part of a staff, and you do something independent, autonomous inside the company, which is not always easy. I'll just leave it alone. Now now I'm an independent broadcaster. Thank you for that, everybody. Now, this is the part of the show where we go to our quotes. I've asked my guests for a quote from a movie, a song, a TV character, and let's see what they came up with. They're going to relate the quote in their own words to the topic. And if you're just tuning in, this is technology revolution, the future of now number 93. I'm the only one who keeps count. The topic is the future of entrepreneurship and technology. Is this the right time? When is the right time? And we already heard now, anytime is the right time. So uh, Don Deloge has sent me the following quote from the Rolling Stones, 1969. The album was Let It Bleed. Here's the line. You can't always get what you want. I'll stop there. But if you try sometimes, you'll get what you need. My drums are in the other room, by the way. I'm a drummer. Don, talk to me. How'd you pick this quote? What in the world does it have to do with our topic?
2: Well, uh, anybody who has actually been an entrepreneur will instantly um, get what I was getting at there, which is, you know, there's this sort of glamorized view of being an entrepreneur where you're in kind of an incubator or, or in some area where you've got a ping pong table and a keg of beer that you go to and you, know, and, you know, the dog is running around and this is great. We're entrepreneurs. It's so fun, but it's a lot of work. And I think the, the, what, what, what it was about this line that made me use this is entrepreneurs need to pivot. Entrepreneurs need to adapt and you have you come face to face with realities all the time that say hey this isn't exactly what i was thinking 3 months ago or 6 months ago or whatever but you just got to keep trying and if you do that's how you persevere and so that's why i came up with this
1: thank you very much i want everybody to hum along you can't always get what you come on ron seriously we but need if you try
5: sometimes you just might find you get what you need how's that that's great.
1: I had a feeling Ron was going to be the one. I did. We need to get a band together called the E. Not the E Street. We already have one of those. The E band. Last name's Rock.
5: The last name's Rock. What do
1: you expect? I, I was hoping I when I saw that name, I was hoping, OK, if I say you've got some chutzpah, you'll know what I'm talking about. I think at least a couple of you will. Let's go to Dave Friedman Davis and <laughs> a quote from Jeffrey, the dude Lebowski, played by the one and only Jeff Bridges in the Big Lebowski. 19, 1998. Really that long ago? Crime comedy film. I'm not going to read anymore. but here's the quote. It's cool. Yeah, well, that's just like your opinion, man. I know that's not the way Jeff Bridges would say it. Dave, talk to me. How'd you pick this one?
3: (laughs) It's kind of funny. I picked it. I didn't know it had to do something with entrepreneurship. Uh, it was just one of my favorite quotes, but I suppose with respect to entrepreneurship, uh, there are a ton of people along the way that will tell you why and meaning very well, what you're aiming for is probably impossible. Um, But usually if you're an entrepreneur and you follow the same route as everyone, that's also a mistake. So I feel like uh, there's a a level of persistence as you work hard, as Don said, that uh, is required to be successful, not necessarily following the, the beaten path.
1: There you go. Not necessarily following. I think that's going to be one of my cool go-to quotes, Dave Friedman. I like you can, that. You can you can borrow
3: it just just since you talked to so you reference me. That's fine though.
1: I, I will I will I'll say compliments of Dave Friedman by way of Jeff Bridges in The Big Lebowski. Thank you very much, Jess Sobraj, I'm looking at your quote. You sent us a quote from Rocky Balboa one and only Sylvester Stallone to his son, Rocky Balboa, in the 2006 film. We get this quote a lot on my radio shows, Jess. It's very popular. I'm just going to read the whole thing. It's long. It ain't about how hard. I hope this is okay. I ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Did I Did I pass muster on that one, Jess? Is that it okay? was Perfect.
4: (laughs) That was so perfect and spot on accent and everything. I'm, I'm obsessed with the entire Rocky franchise right up to now the Creed franchise. Um, And when I have my low moments and I just need to recharge a little bit, Rocky is definitely among my top, you know, five to 10 things that I'll watch just to get myself back in that spirit. But the reason I picked that quote is because it is so, I think um, reflective of what the entrepreneurial spirit is, which is there's no manual for this. A million things are going to happen. You like you, like Don was saying, you do have to pivot um, quite a bit and unexpectedly, and just you know take the punches and get back up again um, because you you just you never know. You may set out with the intention of of having your plan A and executing on plan A, and then realizing, oh no, I actually have to go through B, C, D, and E. To actually get where i want to go so i think that's true in business and i think that's true in life as well that whatever comes your way you really just have to keep going keep breathing and keep getting through each and every day as best you can
1: thank you very much a, a great quote a quote for of words to live by right i think all of our quotes actually are thank you jess appreciate that And let's go to Ron Rock. He's picked another one of our most popular quotes. This is really cool. And the source is Chief Martin Brody, played by Roy Scheider, not Schneider. There's no end. Somebody challenged me on that recently in Jaws. I'm in a movie mood today. 1975 movie. And I will just say that the quote came from an ad lib by Roy Scheider, according to The Hollywood Reporter. It was never in the script, Ron. It was something that they heard around the set because apparently Richard Zanuck and David Brown as producers were very cheap, Stingy, tweet, tweet, like the birds, cheap, cheap. And everybody said to them, You're going to need a bigger boat. Well, Roy Scheider repeated the line, You're going to need a bigger boat. And he did it in the movie several places, and it stuck as one of the most popular movie quotes ever. So, you're going to need a bigger boat. Ron Rock, what does this have to do with our topic? Talk to me.
5: I think that this is every entrepreneur's dream to be able to have to say this quote. You know, when you start a company, I, I, I was out raising money 10 years ago and I had the coolest technology on the planet. And I went to a guy in Silicon Valley and literally five minutes into it, he took my PowerPoint and he kind of flung it across the table back at me. And he said, I don't invest in technology. I only invest in scalable business models. Technology is somewhat easy to find. A scalable business model is elusive. And most companies that try to start fail because they never get that scalable business model. But once it hits, it hits big. And suddenly, no matter how long you've been at it, a couple years or, or or longer, all of a sudden, you need everything yesterday. You need more marketing. You need more sales. You need more accounting. You need more legal. You need more space. And and, and no in ma- everywhere you turn, you're understaffed, overworked, overstressed. And it's in that moment that I think of that quote, because <laughs> you got this giant fish coming at you, and it's all happening real time. And wow, we just we need more right away. We need a bigger boat.
1: Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Quick question around the table before we go into the predictions round. We're going to get into it early, and I'm glad because we have a lot of good stuff to talk about. Question is, back in the day, and I don't know what that day was, but years ago, I heard that when you wanted to start a company, you went first to your FFF, your circle of FFF. Anybody remember? It's Family, Friends, and Fools who would invest in you. Then we heard about angel investors. Then we heard about people who wanted to be venture capital investors and all different levels. I'm not asking anybody to talk about dollars and cents here, but where does most of the funding come from today? Are most entrepreneurs that you're all aware of? I'm not asking you to do a world survey here, uh, ladies and gentlemen, but are people getting venture capital from some place, from established company. And we already know that there are uh, Silicon Valley is, is rife with those. We've heard about discrimination of who gets the money and who doesn't over the years, but are family, friends and fools, still a source or self-funding just quickly, let's go around the table, Don, quick answer from you. And then we'll just go one round.
2: Sure. A lot of small companies get their start with uh, very, very, very close rounds and then they'll reach Mm -hmm. out to seed investors.
1: Okay. Dave Friedman, what do you think?
3: Yeah. Um, being in Bay Area, there's a, a huge amount of of those types of investors and professional investors, so uh, there's all sorts, but there's a lot of capital looking for cool new ideas and teams.
1: Ah, that's what I was hoping you'd say. Jess, what do you see? Uh, we a- avoided um, friends, family in, in the beginning
4: and actually got most of our funding from angel funds who had a mandate to fund companies that were primarily female and primarily uh, minority. Our company in particular is 80% female, 60% minority and 20% military. So we, we ended up just in the right places at the right time.
1: Quite a mix, diversity and inclusion, incarnate. There you go, living and breathing. Ron Rock, what do you see for investors?
5: I think in a world of 2% interest rates, everybody's looking to do something clever with their money. So I've managed to avoid in the last eight years while raising a significant amount of money, not a single dollar from VCs, all high net worth family offices, um, private equity starting to come down the food chain as well. It's a whole new world out there for fundraising and, and most of the venture capital community still thinks it's 2005 and that they're in control. Here's an interesting uh, piece of advice for entrepreneurs, and I, I live this every day. When you meet with investors, potential investors, we're in a time now where they need you more than you need them, because they've got more money they, to deploy than they can possibly find good opportunities to deploy it. So it's, it's, a, it's a really fun time, I think, to be raising capital.
1: That's an interesting comment. As we are coming, it's now almost the end of May 2021 and we are coming out of the pandemic and so many people shifted their approach to work, right? Am I in an office? I'm working from home. Am I raising my kids? Am I becoming a tutor? Am I doing a remote job? Is the technology there? Am I tired of being on conference calls where everybody sees what my house looks like? Is the factory going to reopen? What's happening with the supply chain? It has become such a complex environment for businesses that were even established. That's why I started out asking the question a little while ago, is this the right time? And I've heard that it's the bad times, quote unquote, the bad times that are actually the good times to start. Thank you all for your insights on that. Uh, Let's go to the predictions round. Don Deloche, I'm starting with your prediction number one. You say the pace of digital transformation will continue to increase based on, I like this word, combatorial elements along the lines of what was articulated in the second machine age. Don Deloche, take about three minutes, unpack this for me, please.
2: Sure. Uh so that Second Machine Age is one of my favorite books. It's uh by McAfee and Brynjolfsson and um and they talk about how uh a given uh, uh, a given advance in technology uh provides the building blocks for other advances in combination and that's why the pace of of uh you know digital transformation continues to increase and I, I think that there are numerous examples out there. Look at the just the whole mobility world and connected vehicles, and what's going on, whether it's driver safety or or uh, EVs and battery quality. Uh, look at healthcare. I, healthcare is amazing. The shrinking of devices, the, um, uh, the advances in genetics, the advances in proteomics, uh, and and the data in combination that can come from these various sources is is just creating this tectonic shift in terms of. Um, healthcare and the funding of healthcare, Um, things like construction, where you look at the deployment of IoT-related assets for everything from worker safety to um, integrating into integrated BIM systems, Uh, things like 3D printing. All of these come together in combination to advance, um, you know, various industries in ways that just change the landscape on, on an increasing rate. So if you're an entrepreneur and you're thinking about Uh, I want to do the next cool thing that requires that you actually have a working understanding of a lot of different pieces and parts that come together. So I think that we're just going to continue to see that.
1: Thank you very much. And I want to just tell my panelists, if there's anything you want to comment on when somebody has their prediction, we're not going to do a full comment round, but just raise your hand. Teacher, teacher, call me, call me, and I will call you. Just wiggle that finger at me, the right finger, and I, I will let you comment, and That's fine, or just jump in. That's fine. Thank you, Don, for kicking this off. Dave Friedman, prediction number one, continue, and this is interesting, continued strain of relationship between the US and China will make it harder for entrepreneurs to attack both markets. They will have to choose. Dave Friedman, are these fighting words? Talk to me.
3: No, it's it's actually based out of experience. I I have worked at Abla and and with other companies where these are two of the biggest markets out there. So um, they're very different markets, but also it's huge, huge source of capital in China. Um, and uh, for a while it was moving where companies could uh, sort of consider working in both markets uh, much more closely together. We're definitely on uh, moving away from that right now, and and, uh, there's a lot of brilliant founders from China that are in the U.S., and U.S. trying to operate in China, but that's getting much harder right now. Um, Both are big markets on their own, but it, it just makes it a bit more inefficient for building a plan or it definitely has to be built into a plan when one considers uh, how their, how their, you know, go to market is.
1: Thank you very much. Okay. Remember anybody can comment, just raise your hand. Okay. Let's go to Jess prediction. Number one and the last two words in this prediction are where I want you to focus. Jess says the aftermath of being benched by the pandemic, which I just mentioned will lead to a new wave of entrepreneurs seeking ways to create their own autonomous side hustles. I like the idea of side hustle. Jess, talk to me.
4: Yeah, I think a a good place to start is to really unpack how the pandemic unfolded. I remember here in the heart of the city in New York, our office building was one of the first to have a confirmed case of COVID. Mm. That was, I think, March 9th. And we all were sitting around the coffee table having our lattes saying, you know, this is insane. You know, hopefully it's a very isolated situation. We don't think it's going to get any bigger than that. And then the very next day, I got an email saying, oh, by the way, that one case is actually now 10 on the same floor as you. So the entire building just shut down and then that kind of became the unraveling of what the pandemic meant to entrepreneurs and to employees in New York. As it went on, you had people who ended up either getting laid off, furloughed, had to go on unemployment. Unemployment wasn't paying people for months at a time. And so everyone was kind of left holding the bag. And I think that led to the next natural thought, which is, how am I going to make money to support myself, to support my family? How are we going to get through the next set of weeks in this uncertain time? And that in itself led to the thought of, what can I do? You know, what can I do while I'm home? What can I liquidate? What can I help out with? How do I get involved in the gig economy? What is it that I can do? And that, that is the side hustle now that we're kind of all getting back to work and especially if you were at a company that just had no work from home option and you were just doing nothing, the side hustle was was key for you. And I think that entire process of how companies treated their employees, how companies, um, you know, showed compassion towards their employees or not was the deciding factor for so many budding entrepreneurs to say, I can't rely on my bosses and this company to ensure my future. I've got to do something for myself and find that autonomous side hustle that's going to generate income. If this ever happens again, or, you know, screw it, I'm done with the entire corporate side of it. I just want to have my own thing and be my own boss.
1: Jess, you are, go ahead, Ron. I have a comment too. Ron Rock, talk to me. I just wanted to, to, to
5: comment on that. I, I split my time between the US and London and the number of friends and associates that got into the home delivery business during COVID, got themselves a motorbike. In the UK, you can get anything from groceries, a bottle of wine, a mouse trap, a dinner, whatever you want, you can get delivered to your home. And there's a whole industry now thriving that didn't exist just 18 months ago. And it was all exactly what you're talking about
1: very interesting mm-hmm. thank you and and Jess you're bringing back memories way before pandemic way before any of what we're talking about i was out of work I uh, was in between, sometimes I took a year or two off and I I never was scrounging. Let's just use a delicate word there. But, but uh, in that process, I needed to do something and I wanted to bring in some extra money. I didn't know the name Side Hustle. I don't think we talked about it. I think we're talking into the 90s. And I uh, had a radio show on Monday nights called, right now it's called Read My Lips, Cool Conversations with Creatives. But I interviewed a woman who was considered the queen of eBay. And while I was interviewing her, I said, how do you do this? And she gave me a tutorial during this one-hour live interview on WGBB Radio. I got her book. She had sent me a book. Her name was Lynn Drowley. And my mom was an antique dealer. And I went to my mother and I said, do you have anything that's not a high-level antique, something around the house that I could sell? And she said, yeah, I have this little pitcher somebody gave me for our summer house to, to pour lemonade or cold water or wine at a dinner party outside. Just It's a pitcher. It's ceramic. Well, it turns out it was very popular. And I created a bidding war around the world on eBay for this picture. I think it sold for something like $75 and it went to somebody in Sweden. I don't remember what the the maker of the ceramic <laughs> was, but it had a cat on it. And I said, our, our cat is the eBay meow. And I put something really cute. Anyway, that spawned a series of me becoming an eBay seller, which turned into a side hustle. And then I went to the local adult ed school and I said, do you have anybody to teach how to sell on eBay? And they said, we just got rid of the guy who was doing it because he wasn't making the students happy, whatever. They said, you start next week. So I became an eBay teacher at Great Neck Adult Ed. And it just, and I started selling a lot, but it was something that was, it was a side hustle because- I was out of work. I had time on my hands, and I learned so much and met so many interesting people. So I, I guess I was doing some graphic work at the time, but I appreciate the the comment about side Hustle. Thank you very much. Good memories. Very, very good memories. I still have people who thank me for teaching them, and they're still selling. Or let's go to Ron Rock, prediction number one. This is interesting. Entrepreneurs, not large corporates, will increasingly be seen as the job creators of first resort and the policies of market-oriented economies will adjust accordingly. Ron, there's a lot to unpack. Talk to us.
5: Well, I, I actually, I think it's the perfect follow-on to what Jess was just talking about. Yep. You know, as, as we went into COVID, people, those of us that were lucky enough to not be laid off or furloughed, were able to work from anywhere, and people got used to that level of freedom. And a lot of what my company MicroShare does right now, we're right in the middle of this return to work, this, this idea of what does the new future look like? And it doesn't look anything like January of last year. There's, you know, the buildings are, you know, people are going into a hybrid work environment. They're going into, you know, in some countries, are you vaxxed or not? We'll decide what you're allowed to do and when you're allowed to do it. And through this, employees got to feel pretty empowered about how they want to live their lives and what's their work-life balance look like. And so as we go forward, there's some scary statistics out there right now. As many as 70% of employees will consider changing jobs as we come out of this pandemic. That's a huge number. What's that all about? I think part of what it's about is that large, traditional large employers don't know how to be flexible enough, fast enough to accommodate this new sense of freedom and empowerment, and so already we know that small business fuels the majority of the economy in the U.S. That's not new news. But within small business, that includes dry cleaners, grocery stores, auto mechanics. But entrepreneurs now are increasingly, I think it's it's just an extension of the gig economy conversation that that that, that entrepreneurs are going to be driving a lot of that of that growth, where we see a clash. That needs to catch up we see regulation coming in trying to regulate uber trying to regulate you know the the, these these new industries that popped up and then oh gee are they being underpaid are they not being treated properly there's there's a whole level of of infrastructure catch-up that needs to happen no doubt about it but that 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 horse is left stable we're We're clearly going in in that direction right now. And I think that for large employers, whether it be beginning to downsize their offices, beginning to get more innovative in their in their chief wellness officer policies, those types of things, I think we're going to see a lot of friction over the next decade trying to sort all this out.
1: Thank you very much. Very, very interesting comments. Anybody have anything to comment, add on to, Ron? We good? Okay. Starting round two, predictions. Don DeLoach, I'm looking at prediction number three. Interesting. You say, as a global society, we are becoming more acclimated to societal challenges, as articulated in the UN's SGDs and various ESG initiatives. And you can explain that. You say, this will pave the way for entrepreneurship that links the trajectory of cyber-physical systems to the well-being of society. Doing good should be synonymous, should be synonymous with doing profitable, not in conflict. I want to say, let me hear an amen or a hallelujah to that. Don Deloach, talk to us. What do you see?
2: Uh, yeah, For starters, um, you know, I, I think a lot of young entrepreneurs are much more acclimated to that whole concept than, than some, of, uh, some of us others that are older and maybe more cynical at times. But I, I think it, it is, there, there is a clear progression in society. If you look at the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, if you look at what's going on with ESG investing and impact investing, uh, it is becoming mainstream. People are starting to care uh, about you know, who we are and what we are as a society. So, so uh, considerations like sustainability um, are, are very common, uh, but, but if, you, if you take that one level deeper, things like innovation in water, so, so metal, detecting metals or, or, or pathogens in waters, so Legionella, uh, uh, things like wastewater epi- uh, wastewater-based wastewater epidemiology, where um, I think a lot of people don't realize you can do COVID detection about 10 days earlier by doing uh, wastewater epidemiology than you do by testing. That, that has all kinds of ramifications in terms of societal good and public health readiness. Uh, if you look at things like uh, energy and the move towards de- distributed, decentralized Energy deployment, distributed, decentralized agricultural deployment. These are things that will make us a more resilient society, and I think that there's all types of innovation that goes along with that. Um, and, and and people's first inclination is to say, well, we don't want to spend the money on that because, you know, what what do I care? I just want to make a profit. But but there's a difference between. Um, well, a lot of it is the difference between short term and longer term view. So if, I'm, if I want to take a short term view, something like hydraulic fracking you know, is going to increase my balance sheet if that's my business, but if it decimates the water table for four generations, that's a bad thing. There's all kinds of other uh, examples, but I think the progression of society is opening up a path for entrepreneurs to do, to do really cool things that are really profitable things that are really good things for society.
1: Thank you very much. Ron Rock, talk to us. I just wanna add to that and connect the dot
5: from a previous conversation. There are lots of funds and it's rapidly growing that are focusing on investing in ESG and sustainability initiatives. So talk about raising money and and making a difference. My last investment round is being led by a family office. They have three criteria for investment, but number one is you must be doing good. And they define good in lots of different ways, but mm-hmm. you have to check that box before you even get to criteria two and three. So I, I, I agree with Don. I, I think that's that's gonna be a very big movement. It already is, but I think it's gonna grow exponentially much faster than we think.
1: Thank you very much. Is this? focused on one, we'll call it generational cohort. I know we all think that the millennials were who brought in the value of what is the company doing where I'm working? Uh, what social good are they doing? What are their values? What what are they doing for the world? Uh, are they thinking about sustainability and inclusion? Is this something that just happened when millennials came into the workforce? And by the way, millennials are approaching 40, I think, maybe some of them already are. So They're not babies anymore. They've got money, they've got jobs, they've got companies. Anybody wanna comment? Is this something that we just became aware of through the millennials mouthpiece, shall we say? Jess, can you comment on that? I don't know that it's something that we just became aware of. I think it's something that's now reached a boiling point.
4: And okay. so people are, are looking for solutions and ways to implement things that will, will cater to that. Um, I think definitely specific generations are more involved than others, for sure. Mm -hmm. And that's because maybe those generations are more used to using tools that foster communication and encourage communication and sharing of ideas across different platforms. But I think that need to address a lot of these issues has always been there. There's just a, a fervor and a lot of external pressures that are making us now collectively really, really need to address them.
1: Thank you very much. Anybody else want to chime in on that, Don? I see you.
4: I mean,
2: the one thing I would say is the, the truth is in the data. So if you think mm-hmm. like something like a lead building, you know, ten years ago people might have said, "I don't want to invest in that. It's just going to cut my margins on the building." But what they find is that lead buildings have higher occupancies. They get uh, uh, higher rentals, and, and that would be an example of a, of a convergence between doing good for society. And and doing profitable for your entity, and, and I think that there are many 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 examples where it isn't just hey this feels good. It's like there's data that supports that it's the right thing to do in a way that generates good profits. And I think that even if people have a have a political bias or whatever and they want to say oh that's not for me, at the end of the day the data can 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 reveal what the what the reality is of what you're doing. And I think that's that's part of what I think gets everybody on
1: board. Thank you very much. Let's go to Dave Friedman, prediction number 2. You predict there will be a major downward valuation adjustment in the next 2 to 3 years. So I'm thinking 2022, 20, 23, The market has been hot for too long. Entrepreneurs will want to fuel up. Dave, what's our warning here to entrepreneurs or our invitation? Go ahead.
3: Well, I mean, I guess if you sit back the the more uh to say, uh, experience you have uh, operating, you know that it's not always a sunny day. And so we have these cycles typically every seven years or so. And um, it's been an interesting time of expansion from 2008, actually, with this COVID interruption. But for a lot of tech that actually accelerated tech, a lot of entrepreneurs I think they're, they've are they seen all their friends make money and they raise money and there's huge amounts of capital and the capital markets are actually the ones that start to drive these, uh, uh, wh- you know, they start to whipsaw the markets. It's probably, again, we're overdue, I suppose. And, you know, there's signs like inflation and other things. And I just, I feel as if uh, an entrepreneur who hasn't seen it, whose friends haven't gone through it and everything is successful um, needs to, keep this in mind, um, when the markets are hot like this now, um, as, as, um, as Ron said, it's a bit of a a seller's market. Now there, there's a good ability to, uh, get capital. One of my favorite quotes, um, from an investor early on, I said, well, I don't know. I mean, should I take more money? He looked at me like, what are you crazy? And, you know, so then we coined basically, uh, Greed kills companies. Dilution only hurts. Um, so basically, take more money than you need. You don't actually know how much you need because no one really predicts these uh, these downturns. And it's it's been hot. So
1: interesting good, good
3: consideration for companies.
1: Don Deloche, I see you nodding while Dave is speaking. Anything you want to add, Don?
2: Well, I've been running small venture back companies for twenty years. Anybody who's been in that position knows that what Dave just said is spot on you know the whole idea of well wow, i don't want to i don't want to take the dilution yeah so you don't want to be running out of capital and then have to go raise money because you're in such a disadvantaged position yeah. it's terrible so that's i think his insights are
5: really good
1: thank you very much let's go to oh ron rock talk to me i,
5: I would just add I, the, the the question mark in my mind because i've been doing this again like you guys a long time uh dave is just in a world of 2% interest rates, money has to chase some kind of return. And until we see an adjustment there, I just wonder when the devaluation happens. Because ultimately, it's what do I do with my money?
3: Well, Ron, take a lot of the cheap money now just in case it changes. Oh, I'm with you on that.
5: <laughs> Absolutely. I've, I've run out of rocket fuel before. I, yeah, it's not good. The free fall feel, doesn't feel good. Thank you all.
1: Jess, I'm good. Your prediction number three. This is another part of the do good. You say social justice reform and tools for organizing will be a matrix for entrepreneurs and investors in the near future as society as a whole takes stock of the availability and accessibility of our current resources. Jess. Yeah,
4: I think we're seeing that now. I, you know, I've seen definitely come across my inbox more and more funds and. Um, venture studios that are opening up specifically to cater to platforms and tools meant for social justice and for reform. And I think a lot of that is a result of what we've been through, you know, as a society, as a, as a, as a country in the last, you know, two, three years, everything from Black Lives Matter to AAPI to um, the conflict in the Middle East and, you know, originating especially in my community and entertainment with the Me Too movement. Um, so I think now, especially for startups and for companies, there's a greater pressure for them, especially to take a stance on certain issues or to, you know, put out a social media post. I remember Black Tuesday, which was not that long ago, it was a year ago when everyone had, was putting up the, uh, the black tiles on Instagram, you know, two, three years ago, you wouldn't have seen that, but it was again, a. a it was the result of a specific community or communities and employees within those organizations calling upon management to say something, anything. And I don't think that's going away. I think that the need for companies to internally organize and to internally have these tools um, and to find ways to show compassion internally to marginalized groups in their companies will be a trend that continues on and there's going to be there's going to have to be a need for um, specific startups and tools to actually support that internally and externally too. For a lot of folks who were organizing these movements, I think they were disappointed in some of the tools that were available to them. So you're seeing more and more um, different platforms and different different, um, startups come up that are trying to address that issue head on.
1: Thank you very much, Jess, appreciate that. Ron Rock, I'm looking at your prediction number four. Okay. You've got a word in here. I didn't know. I'm going to give a quick definition then I want you to tell me if I'm right or wrong. The prediction is I'm going to say SPACs, S-B-A-C-S are dead. And I looked up it's S for special, P for purpose, A for A and acquisitions and C for company. So it's a special purpose acquisition company, also known as a blank check company. Ron, what is this about, please?
5: Well, this is just tied into everything we've been talking about and, and, uh, I'm a little embarrassed because I, 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 this was a great prediction two months ago, uh, but now I think everybody knows it's not a prediction, it's a fact, uh, but I started saying this two months ago. Um, SPACs were yet another vehicle for people to deploy huge amounts of money without having a business plan. They were a shell company just designed to acquire companies. So what does that tell you? You know, I live in Philadelphia, a Rocky fan as well, but I'm also a Philadelphia Eagles fan. I always say to people there's nothing better than being an Eagles fan in August because you have no facts to back it up. So in August every year, we're going to win the Super Bowl. Well a SPAC is kind of the same idea. I'm going to put a billion dollars into a company. It's going to be a home run because I don't even know what company I'm going to buy yet. And so you saw lots of money go into SPACs. They were the darling of Wall Street for about 12 months. Everybody jumped into the, the, the bandwagon and they are rapidly falling apart but it just is another example of how desperate people are to deploy capital they're just you just can't you know in europe we're, we're seeing negative interest rates you're just you can't put it under your mattress you can't put it in the bank they're going to charge you what do you do with your money it's a recurring theme that you're hearing from me
1: What do you do with your money? Thank you very much. Okay, I'm paying my CPA right now. (laughs) What can I tell you? Okay, more about that later. Here we go. Don, let's see if we can squeeze in a couple of more predictions in round three. We've got seven minutes left till the show is over. Let's do this quickly. So I'm looking at prediction number four, Don Deloche. Resources focused on helping tech entrepreneurs develop minimum viable I'm sorry, minimum viable products will shift more to helping them get from the MVP to the go-to-market with scalable, repeatable processes as commercially viable companies. Can you translate this for me, Mr. Deloitte?
2: Sure. I mean, the common metric that people often talk about is that 90% of startups fail. But what I think most people don't really understand is that 70% of those fail in years two through five. That has less to do with getting to a minimum viable product and more to do with execution risk. So uh, hiring, product market fit, addressable market, um, you know, uh, my, my good friend, uh, Dr. Bob Eberhardt at the Stanford Graduate School of Business Project on Entrepreneurship and Society is, uh, I love hearing him say that, you know, what, what, what venture investors want isn't somebody that comes in with this super cool product. They just want to see John Rockefeller coming in covered, covered in oil saying, hey, I think I'm onto something. And I think that, that that's right. So the business model, the sales execution, the, the board construction and governance, risk management, all of these things that are the execution side of getting to a uh, commercially viable, scalable, repeatable process for a company um, it is where most of the failure happens. And I think that as the market uh, begins to evolve and more, more and more focused, you know, goes to entrepreneurship, mm. I think that the resources, the vast of like 95% of the resources are focused on like incubators and accelerators and that's getting to the MVP. I think that what we're going to see is an emergence of resources that are much more aligned with like what, a, what our, our venture studio is is an apprenticeship model where you've got a team of entrepreneurs who have been there and done that, that work alongside the startup to get them from the MVP to the, uh, Uh, to to sort of a series A or a commercially viable company. And I I think we're going to see more and more of that. The the last thing I would say is that uh, a 60-year-old entrepreneur is three times more likely to be successful than a 30-year-old based on uh, um, statistics out in the market. And I think that that says something about the value of experience in the context of entrepreneurs.
1: Thank you. Very interesting. There is hope. I will leave it there. <laughs> Thank you very much. Don't retire, become an entrepreneur. Dave Friedman, quickly, prediction number four. Let's do a quick pass at this. You say investors will be more com- feel more comfortable spreading their investments geographically, making it easier to raise capital in lower cost regions outside the Bay Area and New York City. Can you take about 60 seconds for this, Dave? Go.
3: Yeah, I think this is a no-brainer. Probably uh, 12 months ago when people said your whole company is going to not go in the office now for uh, for a year at least, we'd say that's impossible, it'll never work. Similarly, uh, investors, venture capitalists kind of froze their investing in the first couple months uh, last year because they didn't know how am I going to – like marry someone without meeting them. And it really is a marriage and and they've gone over that hurdle. And so the Bay Area is extremely expensive. We have lots of high taxes in California. And so there's, it ought to make it much easier for entrepreneurs in other areas and regions that are lower cost to uh, build more virtual teams that are more efficient. Um, And so I think that'll be one of the ripple effects that will continue after this.
1: Thank you very much. Jess, let's see if we can hit prediction number four. The first line is what intrigues me. 60 seconds. Hoping for the best, planning for the worst will become a way of life for CEOs. Jess, 60 seconds. Hit it. Go ahead.
4: Yeah, total way of life. I think it's a way of life for me in business and in life in general. Um, But, I mean, look at what we just went through. No one had predicted the impacts of COVID-19 on business. No one really had a game plan for how to deal with that. So I think as a CEO going forward, you now have to have a plan for how you can rapidly scale up and scale down. You know, what fat can you trim? What is the lean mean product that you're going to put out or the lean mean strategy you're putting out? Um, all the while hoping for the best, but ultimately planning for the worst. I think the mistake that some entrepreneurs make is relying on the capital they have and thinking that they will return. When COVID happened, everything was at a complete freeze. So it's not like you can always rely on your investors to bail you out. It'd be great if they could. You hope they can. But at the end of the day, that responsibility rests on you and you've got to come up with a way to to keep the the
1: boat afloat. Thank you, Jess. And we're going to give the final prediction to Ron Rock. Prediction number three. Ron, I hate this phrase. I want you to kill it for me. He says people will stop saying data is the new oil because data is going to solve the Earth's problems, not create them. So, Ron, attack it. You got 45 seconds. Go.
5: 45 seconds. ESG, sustainability, the planet matters, all the things we've been talking about. we 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 say data is the new oil because there's money there's money there there's value everybody gets that but data is fundamentally different we're going to use data to extend life extend the quality of life extend the quality of the planet and so data in a new esg format is the solution to our problems it's not going to be the root cause of so many problems which is what oil did for us in the beginning
1: Thank you very much. And rumor has it that oil cannot be reused and reused and reused and data when treated well can. I'm going to let us rest that case. Round of applause for Don Deloche. Please, everybody, raise your hands and thank Don. Don. Stellar panel, brilliant minds, great hearts. I am so impressed. Always with you, Don. Dave Friedman. Thank you, Ron Rock. Thank you, Jessica. Sobraj. Thank you. And and good wishes on your impending addition to your family. Talk <laughs> about entrepreneurship, raising a family. Today is an entrepreneur uh, I will leave that one alone. I want to thank Aaron, my engineer extraordinaire at Voice America Radio. Just to our listeners, we had nerves of steel today. I have a zero upload speed. <laughs> my, my ISP is coming coming to see if he can fix it, but we went on the air hoping we would maintain the connection, and I want to thank my panelists for bearing with me. I think we did great. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Remember, if somebody tells you, Ron Rock, I'm addressing this to you, if somebody tells you the future is already here, Ron, I want you to raise your finger at them, and I want you to wave and say, no, that was yesterday's future. And don't Ron, Dave, Ron, and Jess, and you're going to tell them that today's future hasn't happened yet, and we're here to make it a better one. Everybody wave bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks.